<clears throat> so where where are you headed right now? You said you were headed west. Yeah, so I'm headed out west. I'm going on an antelope hunt right now. So I've got about 20 more hours ahead of me driving alone. <laughs> nice. <laughs> you're gonna, you're gonna, yeah, you're gonna listen to some good podcasts. Yeah, I've already listened to a few, and I've got a long list of other ones. Uh, I'll be listening to all kinds of different stuff, bouncing around podcasts here, little music there, and back and forth. Yeah. What are your go, what are your what are your go tos on something like this? Um, so, like I'm going, so I'm going on an antelope hunt right now. So you know, whenever I'm traveling, I I typically just usually listen to podcasts that pertain to what I'm going to do when I'm traveling. So like I just listened to an an antelope series that uh, Go Hunt has a podcast. They did like a five episode series recapping uh, a recent antelope hunt they just did so i just finished that series um but like a couple of my general go-tos are you know kafaro cast i listen to a lot uh whenever i'm going out west um eastman's elevate elevated is one of my favorites um probably won't be listening to <laughs> any whitetail podcasts on this trip just because like i said this is all western i know i'm on a whitetail podcast so it's kind of funny but this is a, a big western trip so that's everything I'm going to be listening to here is going to be Western spot and stock antelope oriented. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm it's... sure on my, go ahead. Yeah. And then I'm sure on my way home from this trip, then it'll switch over to lots of uh, podcasts about whitetail. Cause I'll be getting right back into the whitetail game as soon as I get home. Yeah. Oh yeah, dude. It's funny how like throughout the, throughout the season, um, people are like trying to uh you're always switching what type of podcast you're listening to and when just based on what you're hunting you know so like i have an elk hunt coming up in two weeks and pretty much all the podcasts that i listen to right now are all elk based and here i am recording a bunch of whitetail podcasts but (laughs) um you gotta yeah you gotta yeah listen to what you want to prepare for right um how long how long are you out there? Um, I'm going to come back next Sunday. So it's like nine day or no. Yeah. Nine day total trip. Uh, I'll probably hunt six, six and a half days. Unless I tag out early. Are you going like a hundred percent by yourself? Like you're not meeting anyone out there either. Yeah. Yeah. Completely solo. So I just got back from another solo hunt. This seems like nothing to me because I just got back from a two week solo uh, high country mule deer hunt like a week and a half ago. I did uh, nine days backpack in the mountains, uh, completely solo, just all by myself. So, Ooh. you know, this is going to be like a truck camping uh, kind of mobile hunt, um, you know, chasing around antelope out on the prairie. So to me, it's like, it seems pretty easy compared to what I just got back from with that uh, mountain mule deer hunt. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And if you're a Kafaro cast listener, like you would have uh, what Aaron Snyder would call mental toughness, being able to hang out by yourself. <laughs> yeah, you got to have it to do solo hunting, no matter what type. And it, it takes a while to really develop it. Um, but yeah, I've got like three Western hunts this fall and they're all solo. So I uh, mm-hmm. schedule just didn't work out this year to do anything with anyone. So uh 
three times I'm making the trek out west all alone. <laughs> Dang. Good for you, man. Do you find uh do you find when you do that, like if things are going poorly, uh you just get like stuck in your own head? Um it kind of it kind of depends, you know, like I've had it I've had it go both ways where you know, if you're solo hunting and things are really going bad, you really can kind of get into a rut in your own mind. Um, that kind of happened to me more so early on in, in my bigger Western hunts. But it seems like now I've got the experience under my belt doing it that I kind of recognize that I'm doing that and I can just kind of pull myself up out of that rut and, you know, just keep putting forth effort. And, you know, once you get the experience under your belt, it's like you you know that if you just keep running the playbook and keep putting forth effort, you know, like you have to have faith in what you're doing and eventually it'll pay off. It's either going to pay off. You're going to get an opportunity. That opportunity might not pan out, but um, you have to have faith that if you just keep putting forth that maximum effort, you will get an opportunity. And that's something that you can't really have in your mind until you've experienced it. So like early on you get, all this doubt and um like you said you get into ruts and you want to quit or back out or you know completely change your plan like to the base like basics of your tactics but uh once you have that experience you know you you kind of know what you're doing and you just stick stick to the game plan and it's a lot easier to just stick it out like that yeah no that, that makes sense i if you were to when you pull, like you said, pull yourself out of, uh, like your, the head games, do you, is it literally like you're sitting there and you're just like, this sucks. Like this shit isn't going right. I'm not finding any deer. Like I'm not finding any elk. Like there's nothing around. And then you're like, shut up, shut up self. It's okay. Like, yeah. just keep trying. <laughs> just keep like, we have a plan, like just stick to the plan and keep trying and keep going. And eventually a bugle will break and I'll be in it. Right. Is Pretty that much. like, I mean, honestly, yeah. yeah. I mean, when I solo hunt, there's a lot of talking to myself and I'm not, I'm not <laughs> afraid to admit that. I mean, there really is like, you got, you have, I always tell people that when you solo hunt, you have the lowest of lows and you really do, but then you also have the highest of highs and it, the highest of highs are a little different because like, obviously when you're with one or multiple uh, buddies on a hunt, like that, camaraderie is something that you definitely don't get on a solo hunt and that's to me that's like the best part of going on a trip with friends is that super fun camaraderie um and then you know like you or someone kills something there's this big like elation there's this big high but it's different from when you kill something solo you know what i mean like when you kill something solo I have a deeper and purer feeling um and so are the lows you know like it's you really like you get down on a trip with buddies, you know, things aren't going right. It's like you have someone that you can kind of lean on to help pull you up out or they might get down and you help, you know what I mean? Like yeah. you help each other stay positive if, if you have good hunting buddies. Um, <laughs> but when you're by yourself, it's like, yeah, you can't do that. You don't have anyone to talk to. You've got no one to pull you up out of, you know, saying this sucks. It's like, you got to do everything yourself. So it's like, you know, I think for that reason that the, the 
those lows are kind of on a deeper level. And then, like I said, the highs, um, when you do find success, it just, I don't know, it's kind of hard to explain, but it, it's more of a pure feeling uh, when you're alone. Because there's no, you don't have that like high five, like, you know, elation with a friend. It's just, you know, you have all, all that cumulative feelings of success are just within yourself in that moment. And uh, it's just different, but it's it's a pretty awesome feeling, honestly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I like from my own experience, uh, when you do something and you're successful, like 100 percent on your on your own, you know, you, uh, you you feel better about it because you did that. Like you put in the work, you put in the effort, you put in the time and you got, you know, whatever your your goal was accomplished. And on the on the flip side, when you're with somebody one of the things that always like stands out to me and I'll find myself doing this here and there too, is like you blame that other person for the reason of your failure. Right. Like, right. Like whenever you're hunting with somebody, if you're hunting with a buddy and they are breaking every branch when they walk behind you and you're trying to dodge them like that, just, you just want to murder that person. Like, <laughs> You're yeah. just like, dude, you need to knock yeah. that off yeah. because you're going to ruin our hunt. <laughs> and then at the end right. of the day, like, did, does it really matter? Doesn't it matter? I don't know, but uh, it depends yeah. on the scenario and whatnot. But you're just, you like, you you have the opportunity to not blame yourself. So so sometimes it drifts over into blaming someone else when when you're by yourself. It's all It's all you. You're the problem or you're the reason for success exactly and that's that's what i'm saying when i like the word i use is pure because it's 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 all on you like when you have success it was nobody else and when you fail it was nobody else so you know everything is on you and that's now don't get me wrong you know the mental game is way harder solo especially when you're backpacked in and you don't have cell service and you are alone in your thoughts for nine days you know like it's daunting, but uh, yeah. and then every, every trip is more expensive. You know, like right now I'm driving halfway across the country and like my gas bill at the end of this is not going to be cheap. I don't get to split <laughs> it with anyone. So, but, right. um, you know, you just, you just got to do what you got to do sometimes, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. It is what it is. Like to chase the dream, you got to right. be willing to make the sacrifices. And this time it's dollars. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Right. Yeah. I just had a, a buddy of a buddy hit me up. Who's also going out West. And he was like, Hey man, you want to split gas and ride together? I heard you're leaving on the same day. I was like, yep, that sounds great. I didn't even know you were coming, but I'm glad you are. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Just to switch drivers and all that fun stuff. But, uh, yeah. But yeah so uh, just uh, uh, for everybody listening, welcome to the Deer Vein podcast. Got Ethan Eskew. Is it Eskew? Is am I saying that right? You are saying that right. Sweet. All right. I was good. Like in in grade school, I I was really good at sounding out my words, so I I, I take pride in that. <laughs> well, you would, you'd be shocked at how many people mispronounce my last name, but uh, you got it right. All right. What's the most common? Oh, I've heard like Esquaw, like I've heard <laughs> Esquaw and like all, everything, everything except Esquaw, it seems like. Uh, well, good. And my, and my wife is a first grade teacher. So she, she helps me a lot. 
<laughs> um, so yeah, everybody listening, we got Ethan Eskew on. He's uh, he's from out east. Uh, he's got a great buck down that he shot um, early season, and we're going to talk about that story and the tactics that he used to find that deer. Um, but also just wanted to to preface, you know, this is part of the Deer Vein Whitetail series. We're going to have one to two podcasts out every week um, on most of them will be successful hunts, people who've killed good bucks. And then we talk about how they got to that, uh, uh, how people who have killed good bucks and how they got there and how they found that success so that you guys can use it in your own hunts and in, in your own season. And we're trying to put them out as fast as we can. So it's still relevant for the time frame of the season. seems like as soon as you figure something out, all of a sudden, you know, the soybeans turn yellow or the food source changes, or there's new pressure or a new season opens. And you're always like, during season, it seems like every two weeks, every one to two weeks, something's different and the deer are moving different. Something's happening. So we're trying to put these out as fast as we can. And then also just real quick before we get rolling, just a, a plug for our partners, Vector Custom Shop, Onyx Maps, and Venado. Um, Venado's Lifestyle Apparel, Onyx Maps, if you don't know that app, public, private land, boundaries, GPS, waypoints, offline, online, especially if you're going out west, you run onyx ethan i do yeah okay yeah so one thing we were talking about is just like you know solo hunts offline off grid no cell service like onyx maps allows you to download all those to your phone caches all the maps to your phone so then you can still use them which is super handy and every time i go out west i find myself doing that over 4g because i always forget to do it at home when i'm on wi-fi <laughs> which then takes <laughs> takes forever um right but uh but yeah, so Onyx Maps, and then lastly, Vector Custom Shop. Uh, they make phenomenal air arrows. They get their arrows in. Uh, they You guys punch in what your draw weight is, what your draw length is, what animals you're hunting, what broadheads you're shooting, things like that. Then they craft an arrow customized for those uh, specific parameters, send them to your door. So if you're interested in, in arrows, definitely go check out Vector Custom Shop. So with that, on the topic of solo hunts and getting it done by yourself, um, I know almost every whitetail hunter, like they are out hunting and it's solo and most of them are just getting it done by themselves, which I imagine is that, is that you on this buck that you got? Yeah. Yeah. I've, yep. I've never shot a buck with anyone else with me. Um, every white well not every i've shot does but every buck i've ever killed in my life white tail wise has been solo really that's interesting yeah you do, do you have well, do you other have... than i i will say other than when i was like a little kid you know and i i couldn't even <laughs> i i should say since i got my driver's license every buck i've killed has been solo way to way to preface that <laughs> yeah um yeah so then um uh, what was I going to ask? Um, oh, I was going to say, do you ever have camera guys around with you? Do you ever, do you guys ever film? So I've got uh, a really good friend of mine, uh, Jake Bush. We have done a little tiny bit of filming each other. Um, but other than that, you know, I've, he's filmed me maybe three or four or five months ever. Um, and none of those ever panned out. So yeah, basically, no. Yeah, usually don't have anyone filming anything. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, I was just, I, I was curious because, um, I mean, in solo hunts, like a lot of the times, whitetail hunters, 
for the public around my house, I do have my neighbor that I'll go with often and him and I will kind of strategize and I'll be like, yeah, I'm going to go here. I'm going to go here. Let's both take our vehicles. Let's park in this lot, make it seem like there's more hunters and then we'll go out. Right. Um, right. So that's how most of it works. But anyway, yeah. So Ethan, for everybody listening, Ethan dropped a, a great 10 point. Um, and his, his Instagram, if you want to check it out is Ethan underscore SQ and that's E S C U E I'll drop it in the show notes, but if you want to see the buck we're talking about, it's a really nice 10 point, um, early season buck looks like he just shed velvet is like, it's almost like his antlers are still red. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. They were still bloodstained. Um, so I don't know the exact time frame. I have uh, pictures of him in full velvet, like I think it was before I killed him. Um, so under 48 hours for sure that he he shed velvet. Um, I'm thinking it was probably within 24 hours, honestly, because they weren't still like wet with blood, but his antlers are, are red. So mm-hmm. it was super super cool, and I knew that like that was the deer I was targeting. That's that's kind of how I hunt. I always have a target that I'm specifically trying to kill. And when he popped out, um, finally, when he popped out, I was like, that's him. But he, you know, he looked different. And then it took me a second. I'm like, Oh, he's, he's hard one already. So, uh, but yeah, when he was coming in, I'm like, man, those antlers look so cool. (laughs) (laughs) I I really hope I can get an arrow into this guy guy right now. Yeah. I bet. I bet. Yeah. So for everybody listening, the, the antlers are all red, except for like the tips are white. It's pretty cool. Like uh, it's yeah. almost like the the blood from the velvet's dripping down right from gravity. And it's just like the, the yeah. antler tips are white, but the rest of the, like the main beams and everything are red. Pretty cool. Cool right. looking deer. Yeah, it's super cool. Super, super unique. Yeah. <clears throat> all right. So. Ethan, tell me, tell me about this hunt. Let's like, I, I, in the Instagram post that I'm seeing here, you, you started, I guess, start back in the, in the summer. Um, cause it sounds like you had an, you got eyes on him in the summer and then kind of made a plan and move forward and got it done. Right. Yeah. So this is a buck that, you know, I learned of, I think it was like early July, the first time I saw him and he's got really he's really really recognizable because he's got a lot of mass um really really good mass on the main beams somewhat short time uh his g3s stick quite a bit above his g2 and g4 so he's really recognizable um but when i first saw him in early july he had these big clubby looking main beams and these like barely any times at all in early july i'm like this buck even gonna grow into anything that I even want to target. Yeah. Um, but anyways, you know, like so. So I was like, well, I'm gonna keep him in in mind, and then you know. So as, I you know I couldn't scout him much. Um, my schedule is usually really busy, and I'm traveling around all the time for hunting and for I don't travel for work, but you know work quite a bit and. Uh, so I ended up not seeing the deer for a while, and then I got a little break after a work outage, took some time to go try to scout the deer again. Um, I usually hunt like two to four states for whitetail every year. So I go to scout this buck, uh, I glass him up, coming into a field, and I'm like, okay, he's he's actually, 
he's developing pretty nice. Um, so I get some cameras up on him. And I think I had like three days in a row that I glassed him like on a weekend or something. Um, that would have been early August. And that's when I knew he was a shooter. Okay. Um, so then, so then I left for two weeks and went on that solo high country mule deer hunt. Came back like August 30th. And I'm like early September is when that season opens. And I'm thinking, I got to get on this deer right away. I know other people hunt that area. Um, I got to get on him right away. So my plan was to kill him. My plan was to kill him opening day because um, <laughs> I've shot bucks. I've shot bucks this uh, before this year. I shot a buck three years in a row on opening day. So no like, I, I love, yeah, I love early season. It's that's my bread and butter um, anymore. Like if you can pattern deer all summer and then strike them early, it's that's the best time of the entire year for a whitetail for me. So yeah, my plan was to kill this deer um, opening day. Well, you know, I slip in, I get set up, and so basically this deer is bedding in one of two locations, and he's coming to a field as the food source, and it's just like a, a hay field, like a weed field. It's not, it's no agriculture. Um, it's kind of like, kind of an odd you know what I mean? But he's coming out to that field. That's his food source. That's a summer food source. And, you know, on top of wanting to get him before hunting pressure kicks in, I figured he was still going to maybe be in velvet. And deer change when they shed velvet. So I'm thinking, okay, if I can get him while he's in velvet, he's still hitting this food source before the acorns start dropping. He's going to still be doing what he's been doing for the last three months. And I yeah. felt really, really good about getting on him. Did uh, so I slip in? Oh, did good. Real, real quick. When you, you previously you had said um, uh, that you dropped in some trail cameras to kind of look for yeah. them a little bit. Did yeah. you get any trail camera pictures of them? And is was there like a, a strategy that you had because you were seeing them in a field? Like, did you just pepper the edge of the field with trail cameras did you put them back further in the woods where you think you might hit a scraper or some rubs or something like or yeah tell me about that yeah so this specific deer in the location that he was at um i didn't put any cameras back in the woods so and that was that's something that i typically do but on this deer because i was my, my entire plan for this year, the entire season, was to kill him opening day. Um, you know, like, I put everything into that. So, I'm thinking, being that early with no hunting pressure, he's still on his summer pattern. There's he's, there's a good chance that he's going to be out at the edge of the field before dark. Now, gotcha. you, get a couple, you get one week in the season, that goes out of the window. So my weeks of scouting was all centered around the first couple days of season. Um, everything was on that. And I, I felt confident that if I played that, uh, if I played that play out correctly, I could get it done. 
So I had, yeah, I put a couple cameras on exit trails and I know, and I've scouted this area before um, in the spring. So I know the bedding areas uh, where different bucks will bed. So basically I, I cameraed the trails. Um, and like I said, you know, I'm traveling all around. I got all these different areas. So I do utilize cell cameras. They're, they're an invaluable tool in certain instances. Yeah. So, you know, I got, I basically, between me glassing the area when I was there and these cameras, I'm like, okay, nine times out of 10, this buck is using one of these two bedding areas. So you don't want to set up, you don't want to set up in the woods on the trail to the food source on one of those two trails when he's probably going to get to the same corner of the field before dark. Because if you pick right. a trail, you're fl- you're flipping a coin, you're going 50-50. When it, there's more of a 80% chance, I'd say, that he's going to get to that corner in daylight from either trail. So right. that was kind of the strategy I chose. Um, I'm like, I'm going to kill him. You know, and, and most of the time, I'm a timber hunter. Like, you know, most of the time I am. But there's no reason to... There's no reason to be more aggressive than you need to be. So this specific deer was more of a stay back a little bit. And, you know, I know that a lot of people talk about being, you know, super aggressive and it paying off nowadays. And it's true. It does. But you get, you have to know, you have to see the writing on the wall. And it's like, why be more aggressive than you need to be? So my, my MO is always be as aggressive as I need to be. And sometimes that is like extremely aggressive. And sometimes it's a little more reserved, like with this deer. So, you know, that was my plan was to kill him in that corner. And, um, so just, uh, just real quick, the the reason you were real, you were more reserved was because you had glassed him up in that corner during daylight. So you had, he, you had the idea that he felt comfortable being there in daylight. Correct. Yeah. Okay. And, and this is also keep in mind this is like a this is a first couple days of season play. You know, if this is more than five days in the season, I would never consider this. Um, you know, or, or if this is a if this were to be somewhere in the Midwest where season opened October first, I probably wouldn't use that play then because you know once you get into that time frame bucks they're not on their summer pattern they might still be on an early season pattern but you know this deer was still on his summer pattern so it's like whatever you observe them do for three months they're gonna be doing that still the first couple days of season and you have to jump on that and you have to take advantage of that that's what i've done the last couple years so it was very specific to this deer to this area you know like i said I would say that more often than not, I'm fairly aggressive getting in the thick of it uh, with them, but you have to be able to recognize that there are times where it pays to be a little more reserved. Um, and this was one of those times. Gotcha. So, yeah, so that was the intel I gathered from, you know, you know, driving down there in glass and, um, trail cameras i'm like i picked the tree i picked the tree from a distance like okay that's the tree i'm gonna get in so here comes opening day um i get all settled up in the tree pretty early i'm thinking 
you know, I'm thinking, yeah, I'm probably going to kill him tonight. Like I was feeling really good. Um, there was a couple other hunters in the area, but I actually talked to them. Um, and I knew where they were going and I'm thinking, okay, I don't think they're going to bother me. So I'm in the tree and like under two hours before dark, you know, like, I, like those and maybe little young bucks would potentially be moving and feeding right now. Here comes a hunter and his kid walking right, right down towards me. I'm like, oh crap, like where are they going? And so I like whistle at them and because this is a public area, you know, so I whistle at them and he sees me up there. And I'm like, hey, I'm here. And he's like, I got a stand up there. Like I got nowhere else to take her. He points up and he's pointing right at that buck's primary bedding area where he beds more often than not. And I'm thinking, uh, oh no, you know, and I'm like, like he had his little girl with him, you know, and I'm like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna raise any type of bus, you know, so right. good strategy. That's that's a good strategy on his part. Yeah, seriously. So, <laughs> so they go up there, they, so they walk over, walk right through the corner of the field, walk right up the trail i expected him to come down cracking and crashing up to the woods up there finally they get out there probably a couple hundred yards they actually get past where the buck um i think was bedded and i hear him clanking around and what sounded like a big ladder stand and just like i i'm just sitting in my tree just you know like I was frustrated. Don't get me wrong, but I, yeah. you know, I've, I've learned to not. I've learned to not get completely, you know, just ticked off about stuff you can't control. So I'm like, well, there's no point in me getting down now. I'm just gonna sit it out. So I sat it out, and uh, I saw some younger bucks, but obviously he never showed up. So. And then they ended up leaving at dark. They actually ended up leaving before dark, got down, came back out into the field with 15 minutes of shooting light left and walked back past me. And I'm just like, dude, like, I don't know, man. (laughs) You know, you got to have a little, you got to have a little bit of respect here. I mean, come on, brother. Like, so, you know, and again, I I didn't say anything. I just, so. You can't, like you said, you can't. You can't control it. Smile and wave. Right. Figure so, out a better play next time. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, you know what? I think I'm just going to leave my stand in this tree. Because there was a big thunderstorm rolling in that night, like right after we were leaving. And I'm thinking, you know, this area kind of gets frequented by people, like not just hunters, but like hikers and stuff. Um, I'm like, you know what, because of that, and because of how loud they were being, like, it didn't sound like hunters coming through the woods. It literally sounded like two elephants going through the woods. <laughs> I'm like, if he was up there, I'm thinking, okay, if he wasn't bedded there, and then the storm comes in, it's going to wash everything away, and he's never going to know a difference. And then I'm also thinking, if he was there, he got up out of his bed way before they ever got close to him, and he just left. 
You know what I mean? Right. So I'm thinking, you know, he's he's been right in this area for months. I'm, there's probably a good chance he's going to be back. So so I don't go back the next day. The following day, um, I go back in there, second hunt for him. I get situated, and I'm like, it actually feels pretty nice out. It's it's pretty. It's nice and cool. Uh, cooler than it has been anyways and i'd say about half an hour before dark a freak thunderstorm rolls in and just absolutely drenches me i mean i'm talking i don't it wasn't supposed to hit i don't have my rain i don't have rain gear i've just got merino hoodie you know clothing on and it's just like i get it was like i jumped into a pool and got out that's how wet i was oh man it was it was pouring, pouring thunder and lightning right before dark. And uh, I sat there till it got dark, and then finally I'm like, all right, I'm out of here. So I pull out, but same thing. I'm like, well, you know, no one got up in there. I have made a very low impact getting in here, and everything's going to get washed away again. And and that's another thing is, like, I I hear it a lot from people that you you – it, like if you hunt one spot one time for a buck, that's the only chance you get. And a lot of times it is if you're deep in there with them and you're leaving. If it's like a high impact, high risk, high reward sit, then I completely agree with that. But again, in those terms, in those times that you're a little more reserved, you got to really look at the big picture. Like I'm explaining here, you know, those people might have bumped him, but right afterwards the storm came in and he's not going to smell that they were there. Um, you also have to look at, like, if you're way, way out in a big national forest and someone walks through a bedding area, that buck might not be back for weeks. But if you're in an area that's got hikers and stuff, it's like, you know, those, those deer get bumped by people from time to time. So you really got to kind of look at the big picture uh, with every individual situation. So that second hunt, third day of season, I got hit by that giant storm. Again, I'm like, I'm just going to leave my stand here. And I'm going to hunt it one, maybe two more times uh, just in that, like, I, I have to pound this early season, these first you, couple days. Are you having the same wind every day? So they, the wind switched. Um, one day was a north and one day was a south, but he's coming from the east. So both days was um, crosswind. Gotcha. Um, but this this specific spot, the tree I set up in, as long as it didn't blow to the east, I can hunt it on basically any wind because by the time evening rolls around, it's shaded from a hill. So the downhill thermal kicks in pretty early in this exact location. So once that downhill thermal kicks in, there's a ditch that runs under my tree that I was in and that my thermals basically they drop right into that ditch and carry down the hill so as long as you don't have it blowing directly out of the west you can hunt that specific spot on just about any wind because you're you're you're, you're playing that downhill thermal yeah. and that was kind of the exact reason i chose that tree because there's a couple other trees you can get in but you play that downhill thermal it doesn't get into that ditch and then you pull up in the area which is kind of why you know bucks come out in those low corners of the field but, you, you know, I was able to read the terrain, and I'm like, if I'm here and that thermal kicks in in the evening, it's going to go right to that ditch. 
filter right down this hill away from these deer. Um, so that's kind of how I got away with, you know, cause I had deer around me opening day, like young bucks and stuff, nothing ever spooked. That second time before I got poured on, I had deer around me, nothing ever spooked. Um, cause once those thermals kick in, you're not, you're not foolproof, but you've got a really good chance of deer not smelling you unless they get into that ditch, which is kind of unlikely. Um, so it's, yeah. you know, wind wise, it's a good spot. And that's another thing is like, if you hunt a spot that is, you know, I do this a lot during the rut specifically. It's like your wind might be all over the place. And it's like I said, it's high impact. Um, but you're in there one day right in the bedding area or right downwind of a bedding area. And you're like, it's either going to happen or I'm going to blow everything out today. And I'll do that a lot during the rut. Uh, but early season, you know, I don't, you get deer that come in slow and they feed and like if you're blowing out deer all evening before your buck that you're after comes out he's up there in his bedding area just listening to deer after deer snort you know down below him and you're never he's never going to come out in daylight if he's hearing that so you got to be really picky about where you set up to not have anything blow before you get there whereas in the rut that buck could be you know, half a mile away an hour earlier and then right. I'm cruising through. It's, it's completely different to me anyways, the way I kind of view those different times of year. Yeah. I think um, that's like a, a really good, uh, general, general rule of thumb is like, you know, you don't want those deer blowing on you before the, right. You don't want to, cause it seems like the big boys are always at the end of the pack, right. When everybody's oh, coming oh, yeah, out definitely. and whatnot, they're always the last one out and you don't want everyone else blowing before they get there. Um, so the podcast that'll be playing right before, so this will be out next week on uh, Tuesday and the podcast that I'm releasing on Monday, the guy had a doe blow on him and you might actually know him. His name's Cameron. He's from Exodus. Yeah, I know of him. Okay. Yeah. So he had a doe beat him beat everybody everybody else out to the field and bed 15 yards in front of him and he was on the ground and he's like and he knew and she was she was in his thermals as soon as that sun started going down he's like i'm gonna be toast she's just gotta move and she was there for like 45 minutes and then the thermal switched and she just immediately stood up and looked right at him <laughs> and uh and she blew and ran straight into the the hidey hole where he thought the bucks were coming from and he was like down in the dumps and then uh like 30 minutes later here comes the buck that he wanted to shoot but right. it was it's he was like i was 100 percent not expecting that like he thought i was he thought he was toast and for the most part like a lot of times you are but again like just uh kind of like with that uh guy and that girl coming in like you stuck it out. And if you were just out there to kill a deer, some people might be like, well, this hunt's done. You know, I'm, there's nothing going to come anymore. And voila, there you go. There's, there's deer out there and you can get a deer, even if kind of shit oh, goes yeah. sideways a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And again, but, it, it depends on the area. Cause I've hunted areas like I've hunted whitetails in some desolate mountain national forests before in a couple States out East here. And, uh, those deer are different. Like, you know, if you're out, if deer don't see humans and they don't smell humans and interact, and you jump a buck out of an area, you know, you jump him out of a laurel patch on the side of a mountain, he might not come back there for a, literally a week or two. Um, yeah. 
or, or more, you know, you got to just know where you're hunting and you know, how the deer perceives yeah. human pressure. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be hunting pressure. It's just human pressure in general. Uh, that's something I've played off a lot. Like when you do get into those national forest areas, if you notice, like you're right along a main hiking trail, you can get away with murder. <laughs> you can be dropping, you can be dropping milkweed that's literally hitting a deer in the face and they don't blow. If your tree is like three feet off a hiking trail, which I've done, you know, like you can get away with murder, but you go 150 yards off that hiking trail and that deer spooks from you there. He ain't coming back for a while. I mean, right. those deer are, are finicky, but that's a little, that's a little, uh, honey hole like tactic right there is when you get into those big woods areas, if you, if you can find a spot where you can get on a buck right next to a, a hiking trail, you can play off, you can play that human pressure to your advantage. He's used to people being there. He's used to smelling people there and he's used to those people not being a threat. Little does he know that you right. actually are. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, that makes sense. Yeah, I've used no, yeah, that's, that's one of the reasons why I look, I look forward to someday hunting city deer. So I don't have to be so cautious of my wind all the time. Yeah. <laughs> right. uh, anyway, sorry. So that was, that was, uh, so you have your, you have your thermal set. That's why you picked the tree. That's why you picked, like, there's a lot of factors that went into it, but that's one of the main reasons for picking that specific tree. And day two, right. you got pounded, pounded by another thunderstorm or not day two, day three, but sit two. You got pounded by the thunderstorm. So then, yeah, what's next? So the next day, it was, uh, you know, fourth day of season. I'm like, I'm going back in again. I got a good wind. I get out there. I get settled in early. And what is is early like five hours before dark or four hours or three or nine? What is early? uh, Probably like four hours. Yeah. Okay. Because you know you get early season, like you're not going to see these big deer out more than an hour before. You know, if they come out an hour before dark, that is like really, really early. Usually, yeah. I'm seeing the bigger ones come out. You know, ten, fifty. You know, it's after sunset usually. Um. So you know, yeah. I get in. Yeah, usually about four hours, and then you sit there for usually you know, two, two and a half hours before you start seeing the does and the porkies and then, and then the two-year-old, you know, you know, right. you're like waiting to, like you said, last one of the pack is usually the big one. Um, mm-hmm. So I get out there, yeah, about four hours before dark, um, sit there for about an hour and it got kind of overcasty and the breeze kind of picked up and I'll be honest, I was like, it's kind of chilly out and it, you know, it's been a, hot and muggy here for months like it's been a really hot humid summer um just about everywhere i've been wasn't humid in utah but <laughs> everywhere else i've been it's been humid and hot so so i'm sitting there and i'm like this is definitely the coolest evening that this area has seen in probably weeks so i'm thinking this is really really good um and about two and a half hours before dark I had uh, some two-year-olds come through and they didn't really, they didn't go out to feed, but they were just kind of like in the transition cover, you know, kind of 
just milling around and uh, they were up on their feet. They weren't out in the open field for the night yet, but they were up on their feet way early, you know, two and a half hours before dark. Yeah. And I'm thinking that's a really good sign. Um, and then it was like, okay, now there's some does they are going out to feed, you know, two hours before dark. It's like, okay, there's some more young bucks. I mean, it was like deer were pouring out everywhere early. And I'm like, man, if there's a, if there's a night that it's going to happen, it's going to be the night. And, uh, yeah. And I look at, at one point I look over to my left into that corner and there's a deer standing there. And that's what I'm saying. I'm like, I'm like, what deer is that? And then he turned his head and I'm like, Oh, that's, that's him. You know, like, Oh crap. So, cause he, he had yeah. shed his velvet. And like, at first, you know, I, I knew which deer, you know, based off my observations from the tree, my cameras, it's like, I knew which deer were shed and which deer weren't, but it was getting right into that time frame where it's like any day, any buck can shed. So I didn't recognize him for the first split second, but when he turned his head and I saw that G3 sticking up, I was like, oh, crap, that's that's him. So um, nice. he's about 50 yards at this point, kind of tucked back in some brush. And, uh, you know, I'm thinking, okay, like, so I grabbed my bow and I'm just waiting for him to turn. Uh, if he turned, I was going to dial. Um, he, so he walked into like 45 and I'm like, just turn, just give me the shot. And then he kept walking towards me. And he actually kind of cut across the very, very edge of that open corner. And he was coming right at me. And then he stopped in the open at 30. And I'm like, turn broadside. And he kept walking right at me. <laughs> now I'm getting nervous because the tree I'm in is this big, bushy tree. And I've got lanes, like, out into that corner. But right around me, like, sub-20, the tree is so thick that I have, you know, I just have these tiny tiny little windows down through the branches and stuff and then under the tree the brush under the tree is like chest high you know so yeah i'm like this is gonna be i'm like this is not good you know so <laughs> he he comes in and he actually so he he kind of crossed that open real quick and then he got into that brush underneath of me and then he just kind of relaxed and started milling just like those younger bucks were doing earlier mm -hmm. they didn't want to be out they didn't want to be out in the open field yet, but they definitely wanted to be on their feet, feeding, milling around. Um, so now he's like 19 yards. And uh, I drew back at one point and I didn't have a shot. I let down. Just He's like in slow motion now, just like feeding. And basically all I can see is his head and antlers sticking up. I can't see his Definitely can't see his vitals, can't see his neck, can't see his back. I can just see his head sticking up. And he just keeps getting closer, closer. And uh, I keep trying to pick holes. And I, I ended up drawing back three times and letting down with him under 20 yards. And, oh, uh, man. Yeah, so my nerves were like, you know, and he's about to get into that ditch. He's like eight feet from that ditch. And I'm like, he is going to smell me and bolt. I'm like, I've want like you know i've put so much stock into trying to kill this deer for you know months now here he is he's been under 20 yards for 10 minutes i've been full draw three times under 20 yards and i'm just looking looking and i see this spot i kind of like raise up on my tippy toes 
And I'm like, okay, I got a softball sized pole through these limbs and there's a little like gap in the brush right there. Like I might be able to kill him if he makes it to there. And it's like four feet from that ditch. And I'm like, he might smell me before he even gets there. Yeah. I'm just like waiting, waiting, waiting. He just takes a step, feeds, takes a step, feeds. Finally, dude, he stepped, he, he starts stepping into that. And I can see his neck. He steps and it's like, I can just see the very, very tip of his uh, shoulder, uh, like right at the T and his brisket, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, so I raise up on my tippy toes again and I'm like, I'm going to have my angle. So he kind of puts his head in the brush. I pull back and uh, he steps right into it. And he was nine yards, like slightly quartering two. So, and it was steep downhill angle at this point. So, you know, I bring it up a little bit forward just a little bit i'm trying to just like hug the very very edge of that scapula and yeah. uh i just shoot him i shoot him right there and uh you know i arrow went through him he ran down there and uh he stopped at like he stopped for maybe three seconds at uh like 60 65 and i was grabbing another arrow um because if he stood there for a few more seconds there was going to be another one in the air and uh so I reload and he, he starts to kind of like jog away. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to get another shot. So at that point I ride, uh, bring my binos up. And as he's running away, I can see my entrance. I can, you know, I can see it in him. And I'm like, he's dead. Yeah. Like there's a, you know, it's like, that's, it was perfect. Cause when I shot him, you know, that close, your hair was going so fast and it passed through him and it went through all that brush and stuff like, you know, you have such a small window to shoot through. I never, I didn't really see the arrow hit him. But when I saw that entrance hole as he was running away, I'm like, he's toast. You know, he can't, that's perfect shot. So, yeah, so I ended up giving him a little bit of time. He got out of sight and uh, gave him some time and then uh, got down and um, ended up getting on the blood trail, followed it. And he made it about 130 yards, which actually surprised me because, um, like I said, he was slightly quartering too, and I uh, I barely nicked the scapula on the way in. Took out both lungs, came out the back of the offside lung, and cut the liver on the way out. So you know, I double lunged and livered him. Um, and 130 you know, he, yards, he yeah, that's a that's a yeah, haul so, for a buck with no yeah, lungs. Yeah, so right, so I'm like, man, you're you're a tough one. You know, I've shot him before; they make it like 20 yards, but. He was a tough one, so um, he is big body. Uh, I think he's a five and a half year old buck. Uh, yeah, just those antlers are so cool, man. Like red stained. Um, you know, he's he's pretty wide. He's got really good mass. Uh, kind of short tines, except those G threes, uh, which kind of gives him a super unique look. You know, I've never killed a buck quite like that. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he that's the buck, you know. I was like, that's the one I'm going to try to shoot early. Uh, like I said, it took, I didn't get him opening day. <laughs> I had to wait till day four. Uh, but, you know, I'll take that. So, yeah, he, yeah I, I, I take so, that. Yeah. So, yeah, no, man, that's it was, awesome. Uh, that's 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 way cool, and to have him so close for so long and not smell you and know—I oh, mean, 
in a way like that's a that's a success in itself is like you've positioned yourself properly so that you can get that close without being scented by any of them and i have right. to imagine as you hunt this area year over year like that is going to be a uh like if there's ever a buck using that same field you're gonna be like yep i know exactly what i'm gonna do yeah yeah if i see another mature deer that's big enough um that i want to target and he's utilizing that bedding area you know like you can run the same or very similar play on him and i've had other spots in the past you know i had a spot that it's no it's not there really anymore because it got ended up getting logged and uh you know everything changed once they did that but uh you know i had a spot years ago it, it was a rut spot that i mean you could set I forget, I shot a buck out of it, I think, three years in a row or something like that and uh, passed some other really good deer out of that tree. And it was just like, I didn't hunt it until the time was right. But you could, I mean, it was such a good spot that you could almost put, I would have put money on it. Back in the day, like every time I went to sit that tree, I would have literally put money on the table that I would have a big deer in range. I mean, it was just, it was a spot that if you played it right, every single year you could, you could pull one out of it, you know, a good one anyways. And every, every few years there would have a, be a really big one in there. So yeah, I've had spots like that before that, you know, you can use the same spot on multiple deer. Um, and then I've had it a lot of times that you just, you have one big deer in one spot and I've never seen a mature deer in that spot ever again. So you got it. You got, you get it both ways, you know? So, yeah, you gotta. We'll so for that, is that kind of like, if it, what, what the analogy has always been is that I've always heard is like, um, if you have a master, if you have the master bedroom in your house and you, you imagine like, you know, the five and a half year old buck is using the master bedroom and the two and a half year olds are using, you know, all the, the kids rooms and stuff if that master bedroom is vacated, that one of the kids is going to move into it because it's the master bedroom, right? Everyone wants to, everyone wants that room. And that's how I've kind of always heard it explained is, you know, if that, if that one buck dies, a new buck is going to replace him because that's the nicest place to be. But if you figure out a way to be able to hunt that best bedroom, then, you know, you can be successful year over year because mature deer just like it. Until they realize, right. like, if you if you bed there, you're probably going to die, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, at yeah. some and point. I, I've, right. I've seen that happen many times, uh, whether it be deer I kill, friends kill, deer that get hit by a car or whatever. Um, many times I've seen that, you know, that's what you're saying, master bedroom, get occupied by other deer sometimes it's not a deer you want to go after you know what i mean like sometimes yeah. it's a three and a half year old that's a decent buck but you know you just don't want to go after him and then you know he ends up getting killed that year and then another three and a half you know it's like someone usually picks up the bedroom it's just whether or not you're going to have another one that you actually want to target use that bedroom um but then like i said i have seen some outliers that you know, I, I can think of deer that six, seven years ago, and I have never seen anything old or big use that, that, that bedroom ever again. And that, those are the ones that really puzzle you. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. why did that buck, why did that buck love that spot? 
if no other deer does. You know, that those are the ones that they really kind of puzzle me. Um, the other stuff makes sense. You know, what, what you're saying, and, you know, like you have a really, really good bedroom or a really good area in general and bucks die and then their predecessors take them up. It's like, that makes sense. The other ones, the other ones are flexing. That's for sure. Yeah. No, yeah, you do. You wonder why, because you want to, from a, from a hunter perspective, you want to go, what about this, you know, made this area special and then be able to translate that to other areas where you might be having troubles figuring out the strategy. Right. So you want to try to like, as a hunter, you want to understand it, but there are certain things that it's just like, dude, maybe he just grew up in that area and he liked it and he was never killed. No one ever found him. And it's odd as it's an oddball spot, but it's the spot that he likes, you know? Yeah. And I think that's, you know, now that you say that those examples that I can personally think of, yeah, they are oddball spots, you know, it's like, and I feel like that's where you find the biggest bucks sometimes are in these weird spots, you know, like if yeah. something looks pristine, textbook, you know, you, you can usually find good deer there. But for me, in my experience, it's like the biggest bucks, like the freaks are usually in those weird spots. You know, and uh, I don't know what what it is about that, but I've seen that time and time again. Hmm. Um, and something else I've seen is like this is an, I guess I've never made this analogy until just now thinking about it, talking to you. But you know, you might have a really good area. I've seen this happen multiple times, multiple different properties. You might have a really really good area, a good property, and that's like the house, right? But the master bedroom almost moves. Like you might have five bedrooms in a house and it's like one year, the upstairs right bedroom is the master. And then it, it might be kind of a progression. Like it might take three years, but three years later, now the immature deer are using that bedroom and the mature deer are using the downstairs left bath, you know, bedroom. And that's, that's another thing that I don't really understand why. And I've like my examples that I can think of, I've tried to figure out, why did those mature deer use that bedroom three, four, five years ago, but now all the mature deer are using that bedroom and they're not using that old one. And I don't know what, I don't know what that is. Um, but that, that only comes from really being in tune with an area for years and on end. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you have to be, you have to be intimate with properties and areas um, to be able to recognize that. Cause you can go into an area and be like, okay, like that's it. Like that's, that's that master bedroom. That's where every mature buck is going to bed for eternity in this area. And then you, for whatever reason, if you don't go back and hunt there for five years, you come back, you might have like a spike come out of there, but <laughs> this other bedroom that, you know, a four point came out of five years ago, has got three shooters walk out of it open day. You know, I, I've like I've seen that happen on multiple properties before. Again, that you that that's something that you really have to be like I scout a lot, whether it be boots on ground, glassing, cameras, observation sits. Um, that experience and those examples come from intimate intimate knowledge of properties, which I'm fortunate to have because now kind of look at things outside of the box. You know, because I've never really heard people talk about that a lot, but that's something that I've seen time and time again. 
Yeah. No, I I think that it, it is an interesting concept. I have no no idea why I don't have any experience in that. The biggest question that I would like ask about that is kind of like process of elimination. What what has what has changed? Right? Was it was it a timber logging? Was it a crop rotation? Was it pressure? Was it uh, just vegetation growth and a food source? Like, I, you know, and who knows? And maybe, maybe these bucks are, uh, maybe that's a, it's a great point in the sense of maybe these bucks like just don't, they like being solo. So like they're the, the, the biggest bucks are the cool guys on the land. Right. And all the little guys are like, Hey, you're cool. Can I hang out with you? Hey, you're cool. Can I hang out with you? And all of a sudden like that bedroom where they were like, ah, oh, this is my space is crowded with all these little young bucks. And they're like, F this, I'm going to go find a new spot. And then they go over to a new spot, <laughs> right? Or it could be like, you know, the, the cool guy is everybody likes the cool guy and he's five and a half years old or four and a half and everybody's hanging out in his bedroom for three, four or five years. And then all of a sudden uh, a new, bigger, bigger, more territorial buck comes in, um, bigger boy comes in and goes, hey, I'm going to go live over here. And all the other little bucks are like, oh, you know what? I like this spot too. And then that changes the, the bedding area and those deer grow up in that bedding area and like that more. And, and that all of a sudden becomes the, the spot for the next two to four years. It's a, it's a great, it's a great question. And I know on our, our property, our land, we have, a, we've had a lot of things change. So it's hard to like pinpoint what, what, uh, what the issue is, but on the East side of our farm, the first year, the two biggest bucks on the entire property they were, they were both hitting uh, multiple scrapes on the east side of the farm. And one was living further east onto the neighbors and one was living further west onto ours. And then after that first year um, we hunted it, there's not been that sort of dominance since. Like that east side, the, there's two scrapes on the east side of our farm that are clearly like, it was almost like territorial boundaries is really what it kind of seemed like. And they've never been hit the same since like they get hit every year, but it's not by, you know, the biggest bucks on the property. It's just, it seems sporadic. Since right. and I, I don't know why. Left. Yeah. I have no idea why. So it's, yeah, it's a really interesting concept. Um, how, how many years ago was that? It was, it was three years ago. So this, well, this will be my fourth season hunting it, but I would also say like, the previous 20 years there was one guy who hunted it and he only hunted the corners of the ag field up on like which is right next to the uh right next to the the cabin see he was only walking like 100 yards from the cabin so like every it was it's 110 acres um and he was only utilizing really like 15 acres of it so the other 100 were sitting like dormant and no one ever used it um so i think that's like that that's what made that spot so nice. And that area so nice for those boxes. Like no one was ever down there for 20 years. And then I came in like a dumbass and was like, I'm going to go hunt down here, you know? And I just put the pressure on right away and trying to figure out the property and kind of sitting everywhere and anywhere. Cause I didn't have any data on it. And, uh, kind of to your point, I pushed way, way too, I was way more aggressive than I needed to be because previous, uh, hunting experience was all public land, high pressure. You got to go deep and and far in order to find anything. 
So I was like, there's never any, you know, there's never going to be any bucks on the front 15 acres right next to the cabin. And and they were, <laughs> they were definitely right there. Yeah. And I pushed right yeah. past yeah. them into their bedrooms and booted them out. Yeah. Sometimes, man, like I said, the biggest deer I've, I've hunted places where it's like, like here. So here's an example. I've actually not personally hunted this, um, but my best friend is part of a lease that this was, 10 to 15 years ago uh there was a buck out there this lease is like a thousand acres right so and it's, a, it's in ohio um so there's this buck out there 200 inch deer 200 plus like giant you know so yeah. every every single person in the lease is hunting that year you know like most years not everyone hunts but you know when that buck was out there everyone was after yeah and everybody was going out to the back like the furthest corner away from the cabin that you could and you know so there's a swamp that's right next to the cabin and that's where that deer lives i mean like there's it's maybe like a 15 acre 20 acre swamp maybe maybe not even that big like uh you know 200 yards from the cabin and that's where that's where uh that's where he was living. So, you know, sometimes it's like they live right there and, uh, mm-hmm. he ended up getting killed. I think he went like 210, 220, something like that. Um, giant deer. So, yeah. uh, but yeah, and I, and I've ran into deer that, you know, I've hunted, I've hunted places where, you know, like I could drop a snack and it probably hit pavement. Cause I'm <laughs> hunting that close to a road because that, because there's a freak buck that lives in a weird spot that beds 40 yards off a main road. I mean, I've hunted some weird stuff before. Um, yeah. That, like I said, that's, that's where I feel like you find the biggest deer sometimes. So yeah, I mean, right. Exactly. So yeah, I wouldn't be surprised at all if you're, if you can, if you can get into some big deer, like right up at the front of your farm. And especially cause like you said, I've hunted just about not most types of properties, public, private, you know, by permission. I've never personally leased ground as the only thing I haven't done. Um, basically all types of terrain, habitat. Like, it really just depends where you're at, you know. But if you're hunting, like, your stereotypical Midwestern-ish public land that just gets pounded, yeah, you gotta, you either gotta go crazy deep and hard or you got to hunt like right up front in the overlook spot but when you get on private it's like you have to re- you have to recognize that you're on low pressure private you can't you always got to recognize where you're at tailor how you're hunting you know what i mean because you can't oh, you yeah. can't be like oh i'm hunting i'm hunting the Drury's farm i'm just going to bust into the, these bedding areas and blow everything out because that's what you have to do um you know, but and then again if you're hunting public land in southern michigan you can't just hang back and hunt the field edges like you would on a big farm like that so it right. depends man it's it, it, it's pretty cool though like looking back and looking back and looking ahead at everything all the different places and habitat types and conditions and mm-hmm. that's what keeps it fun you know everything's different and uh like even for me every year i hunt like i said multiple states and i hunt multiple species because i go out west every year so it's like I am always, always 
always changing tactics, and it's just <laughs> a lot of fun. Keeps it keeps it interesting. Yeah, dude, I bet, I bet. Um, so back to back to this early season, this early season buck. I know we got like I don't know 10, 15 minutes left. Um, back to the early this early season buck. Were there any other? I mean, you glassed them up. You you scouted it early spring. Um, you kind of had an idea where the betting area areas were. You glassed him up, um, figured out he was there, set some trail cameras, got some, got a few pictures of him on the field edges and yada, yada, yada. Um, then opening day came and you'd pick that tree with the thermals and the wind and the food was still good. They were still visiting that area because it was so early in September. Um, and then from there, it became almost just like a, a waiting game. And it, and it wasn't. The first sit, the first sit could have been the best sit. Like we never know because of the the other hunters, but right. at the same time, the um the idea that a stand is only good once or twice, like that's out the window because you sat this one three times, and I think and it's probably because of like you were saying it was great entry and exit plus great wind, right? Right. Yep. Um, yep. Is there anything else you wanna you'd wanna add to that in terms of you did mention um you needed to get to him before the acorns started dropping? Yeah, so I've run into that a lot. Um, like I said, I love early season. Uh, you know, I know a lot of places don't open until like October first or late September. Um, but if you can travel to somewhere. You know, like, take, you know, I don't, everyone's different, but if you can try it once, travel somewhere that opens early and, and try to hunt them early. And it is, it's, it's, in my opinion, the best by far time to kill a big mature deer. Um, and I've ran into that, the whole food source thing a lot, you know, to me, acorns are, a great food source to kill deer on, but they're more difficult than a, some type of field, whether it be like I, in this case, it's just a, like a weed field, you know, the, the deer are randomly eating or right. you know, if you got a, a, if you got like a real early season and you've got north and you've got canola fields or um, whatever, like, anything that you can glass because to me glassing tells more than cameras cameras are, are amazing but when you can actually put your like i said i'm a big western hunter so glassing like you live and die by your glass so i've kind of brought that back east where a lot of people don't and sure. um you can learn so much by glassing deer like you can learn a, i've talked about this before too with people like you can learn a buck's personality you can learn if he's dominant, if he's timid, if he's like some bucks are kind of careless, like even old deer, like there's some deer that you observe them enough. You're like, man, that deer takes a lot of chances. And I like those deer. Those are the ones that are easy to kill. <laughs> but when you see other, there are other deer that it's like, man, that thing is like Houdini out here in the woods. Like, you know, those deer are tough, but you can learn that from glassing. So, you know, you can be like, okay, I've got two bucks, and one of them is takes risks, and one of them doesn't. 
It's like, well, I know which one I'm hunting opening day. You know what I mean? Right. Where you can't really learn, you can't really learn that from cameras. Um, no. Cameras just kind of tell you what they are and when they were there. But you can learn so much more glassing, you know. But back to the acorn things, like I've had really good early hunts on acorns. And typically, it seems like mid-September, those acorns start really dropping and deer will transition from green food to acorns especially the big bucks um because they can stay in cover you know and eat acorns um yeah so it, ma- it makes sense um but you can't really glass acorns you know you can set up perhaps on a cell cams on different oak flats and be like okay i've got you know x amount of cameras out here this oak flat he's hitting it it's hot you know but like i use cell cams but i don't have a ton of them you know i have a, i have a few cameras but like they're also kind of expensive to run <laughs> you know like yeah you know we're not all made of money so you know you gotta kind of yeah if i had a hundred cell cameras you know i could hunt acorns all day long <laughs> uh, and don't get me wrong like i like hunting acorns when they're hot and you find them and it's the right conditions i love it but Blasting is a lot cheaper. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> time, any time, field, right? right? Right. Any field source, it's cheaper. And like I said, you learn more. Like you just learn way more in my mm. opinion. So any field food source, any open food source, if you can glass it, you can pattern a buck on a summer pattern before the acorns drop. Because like I said, once the acorns drop, your chances of them coming to that green food source in daylight, in my experience, right down the drain. Um, like you might have a, you, you go from a 90% chance to a 5% chance really, really quick once those acorns start dropping. I've seen that's that a lot. So I'm always like, that's why, you know, I told you, like my goal was to kill this deer opening day. And like, I was willing to throw everything I had at him for five days. After that, it was like, okay, back to the drawing board. Time to, you know, either reevaluate him, go get on a different deer in a different area. Um, But I'm like, for those first five days, I think he's still going to be hitting green. He's still going to be in this area and I'm going to throw everything I have at him. And it was day four, you know, and I got the shot. So, yeah. Um, And one thing worth, noting is it's important to know and this again kind of comes with intimate knowledge of wherever you're hunting every year is different so if you have a really really good mass year where like every tree you look at is loaded then that drop is probably going to come a little earlier um like you know if you have every tree there's going to be some trees that start dropping earlier than normal. So you got to take note of that, you know? So if you're like that, so then it might be, you might have one day of season or depending on when the season opens, you might not even have them hitting those green food sources and you have to plan your, your, you know, strategy around the oaks. Right. Um, Conversely, you have other years, like I hunted an area last year that that area had no acorns anywhere like there i don't think i saw a fresh acorn in that area anywhere last year and those deer hit the green stuff into october 
And I've never seen that before, but I've also never seen such a acorn drought. So it's like, you really got to pay attention to that because if there are no acorns, then you got a little more time to play that, that green food source mm-hmm. game, that open glass them up game. Um, but again, like if you have a year that they're just absolutely loaded, you might not have a chance at all. And most years are in between, you know, most years, like I said, it's mid September when that transition kind of happens, but I've seen it fall either way. And that's something you have to be aware of and, and keep tabs on. Yeah. So then if, if you're, you know, when you get back from your pronghorn hunt, it's probably going to be that acorn time frame, right? Mid to late September. Oh, yeah. yeah um, and you're looking at, so for that, I mean, you can, like you said, you can run cell cams everywhere. Um, and I did, I've talked to, to Jake a few times um, and he always likes to try to find that first tree that's dropping right outside the bedding area. Like try to get to the first one that he can, that that buck can hit. And for that, you obviously have to understand exactly where that buck's bedding or really close to where he's bedding. And then also note like essentially the oaks in that area, <laughs> right. And where he's going and yep. what's going to, what's going to help. So there's a lot of uh, insight that's needed there. If you don't, if you don't have that, like you're like, okay, the buck buck's not showing up. I'm not sure where I need to go. Are you going to kind of go uh, to a general area and sit back a little bit, or are you going to try to get more aggressive? Um, just as like a, a rule of thumb for anyone listening to this. And, and I'm selfishly asking this question because I don't have any any bucks pinned out early season. Um, it's September 10th today. Season starts next weekend for us, the 17th. And I have an area where I think there's good bucks. Um, and I'm just like opening weekend. I'm just, I just want to put an arrow through pretty much any, any doe or a good buck. Um, so in that scenario, um, you know, I kind of have an idea where bucks are betting. They, they like to bet in these swamps and they come up to these oaks. Are you essentially going to try to pinpoint that first oak that has acorns on it that's closest to the swamp or are you kind of going to sit back like further back and see if they are actually in there or what do you what do you tend to do and if you don't know exactly what's up so for me you know you said shoot a doe or a good buck and like for me that's a completely different hunt if i'm gonna if i want to shoot a doe i'm gonna go somewhere that I don't think there's any good bucks around purposely. Okay. Like I'm not gonna even I'm not even gonna mess around with the general vicinity of where a target buck is to shoot a doe. I'll shoot a doe in some weird oddball spot that you might have like one doe in in a couple fawns, but you know, go in there and kill that doe there. Um like I feel like you you know, that's me. Like I don't I don't shoot does where I hunt bucks personally during like the heat of season especially not early season um and and, you know for that like killing does is just find the the most amount of deer sign on a food source that it has a little bit of cover around you know it takes some scouting but like the amount of does out there versus the number of big deer is astronomical like just find (laughs) a food source no matter what it be like find a food source with the most amount of deer sign possible in an area that you don't think there's a big deer. And, and then if a big deer ends up coming in, then just, you know, go buy lottery tickets. But <laughs> for me, like, 
so that's that's kind of how I'd go about the dough thing. Um, yeah. But as far as like, if, if you don't have the intel, you want to kill a good deer, um, a good buck. That is, you know, to me, there's kind of two trains of thought there. You know, you can go in like you like you're telling me about these oaks, right? Like you can go in there, and you can. You can go in there and you can set up on those oaks. Um, but see, like, even so, for me, so here, I'll tell you what I would do is I wouldn't hunt personally. Yeah, I that's what I thought you'd hunt. say. You'd scout. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm trying to give general advice, but if I'm answering the question for me, I'm not getting in the tree. Like, if, if I don't have a buck peg, I'm not hunting. Like, I will not hunt. I'll blast. I'll, I'll like speed scout an area right before or during a rainstorm, um, looking for big hot sign. And, and even then, like, don't get me wrong. If I'm walking through the woods and I find an oak tree dropping that's next, like if it's a new area or something and it's right next to a swamp, oaks dropping, there's big rubs. Yeah. I'm going to sit it. Like, you know, I'm not, I'm not dumb. Like I'm going to sit it, but <laughs> But for me, 90% of the time, like, I don't hunt the Midwest very much. Like, most of the stuff I'm hunting is, is east. So, um, and even when I do hunt the Midwest, it's like, it's usually public ground. Uh, you know, I, I don't hunt any prime ground anywhere. So, I got to be, like, really picky with the deer that I'm hunting. You know, so I don't hunt unless I've, unless I know, like, this is the deer here. Like, this is the specific deer, he meets the age requirement, the size requirement that I want for whatever, you know, that changes a lot depending on where I'm hunting. Yeah. Um, but I, that I, my answer would have been totally different like eight years ago, but you know, now I'm not, I'm not hunting. Like I honestly, what I, what I would personally do in that case is I would probably drop a cell camera on that oak and then leave and, and go scout more areas. And it's like, you just go scout more areas, keep trying to find good stuff. And then if there's a buck hitting that, you're going to have a picture right away. And then you can go back in and hunt him. You know what I mean? Like, you know, he's there. Yeah. Um, or if you can get up on a hill somewhere and glass the edge of that swamp leading to those oaks, I'm going to do that before I go in. Like, I don't really hunt anymore unless I have a specific deer picked out and I'm like, I'm going to kill him standing right here. You know what I mean? Like, I, I have to have sure. a plan that I feel so confident in for me to even climb a tree. And, and that goes out the window a little bit during the rut. That's the only time that I will hunt random. And, and the more years that go by with me, even during the rut, man, it's like, I still usually know one or two deer that I'm going to shoot. And very, very rarely will, unless I'm on like a trip somewhere hunting public. Um, then you're usually, you know, then you're usually playing whatever, obviously, yeah, new, new stuff, random stuff. You're just looking for a good deer. But if I'm hunting at home or I'm hunting, like if I'm traveling to somewhere that I've hunted multiple years in the past, um, anything like that, then it's, I'm usually waiting until I have a solid plan on one specific deer. Um, 
that's why I like early season so, so much because I have three months to, you know, whether, even if, even if it's from, you know, however far away, like if you got to drive however many hours to get to a place, you put in like two weekends somewhere glassing and put out a bunch of cameras if you can, you can usually get the intel that you need to, to have a game plan for or for opening day early season. Because yeah. um, those bucks, like I said, they're doing the same thing for three months in a row, man. So, like, if you get the chance early September, then that's, that's usually my favorite time to get on them. But, um, like, as far yeah. as not, like, in your situation, like, not knowing – if you if you know there if you know there's a good deer there then i would maybe like slip in there and if you have a spot like if you get in there like i said there's an there's a hot oak with like crazy hot rubs underneath of it and you you have a idea that there's a good deer in that swamp i'd probably hunt that because there's enough things in your favor there to right. be like okay i've got i've got a i've got a shot here you know what i mean yeah but and, if and for me for me specifically like i we have our private ground and that's an hour and a half from me and um and then the uh the public ground is is five minutes from my house so like when i don't have so this year is is a different tactic for me i'm taking more for the private ground i'm taking the approach that that you're taking if i don't have anything so like the last three years i've kind of I've really just tried to figure it out because it seems like it's been changing every year. And it has been because the crop rotation has been different. And now we built a cabin, uh, a bigger cabin on it. Uh, it was it like a trailer home before that was like a, a raccoon and possum love, love shack pretty much. Um, <laughs> and we got, yeah, we got rid of that thing. Um, and then we built a cabin on it and then we had crop rotations and then we had a, uh, and then we had one of the neighbors had a food plot, no longer has food plots because that was drawing deer across our property to theirs. And now we don't have any ag on our property at all. It's all CRP this year. And we were in the CRP program. So, so many things have been changing that I haven't been able to like really get a bead on what the deer like really like to do on the property. Um, and the amount of pressure that I've put on there, plus like my uncle was hunting there and he doesn't, he doesn't see, he, he thinks that deer do not care about him driving around the property on four wheelers. And I'm like, they do, they do care about that. And he's like, no, look, right. see, there's does right there in the field looking at the four wheeler. I'm like, does are not five-year-old bucks, uncle Steve. Right. They're different animals. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah. anyway, yeah. So, so like, there's been a lot changing, but, um, so then this year, my, my idea is more so like very, very low, very low pressure. Um, and, and I have some cell cams out and I have regular, regular cameras and I'll check those every three weeks or so. And then, um, just keep an eye on the property when I do have some sort of pattern or anything, something that I think is going to occur, then I'll move in. Otherwise I'm waiting. There's a few prime scrapes on the property that year over year, regardless of what has been going on, deer have been on those in daylight hours in late October. So it's kind of going to be my, my strategy is if I don't have anything patternable, um, wait until, you know, a good buck shows up on one of the cell cameras in one of those areas of that, those prime scrapes, and then kind of move in and, and sit those on the right days. Um, right. It's kind of the low pressure. However, I love to hunt. I love to be in the woods. I love to, I love deer meat. I'm out of, I'm out of meat. So like the, pro, the public property that I'm going to be hunting 
is more along the lines of like, Hey, I'm going to sneak out for the last, you know, three hours of light. I'm just going to bop out there. Don't care about pressure or anything. I'm just going to see what's out there. Um, and I do, I've hunted that for a few years and I, and I've seen some great bucks on it, had some great opportunities, but I just couldn't, uh, seal the deal on them. Um, and, uh, and so there are great deer out there. It's just, uh, I have an idea. I just don't have any pegged and, and my, my, my more question is exactly what you answered there, which is like, if you're out scouting, like if you don't have, if you're out chasing big bucks and you don't have like one nail down, like scout, scout more scout and look and find, find areas that would hold big bucks. And the one thing that you mentioned, like mid September rubs will really be sparking up. So, and even scrapes mm-hmm. will be sparking up as well. Um, so if you can find fresh rubs around an oak close to like a really thick area that you think could be bedding like yeah drop a camera in there um try to not have it stolen figure out a way to not get it stolen or messed with or anything but drop a camera in there or find a way to glass it like you said find a way to sit it but at least mark it down as like hey this is a hot spot with these acorns and it's gonna be hot for probably the next two to three weeks so figure out when you're in there for that first time you're in there, figure out how you, what tree you're going to sit in, how you would enter it, how you would exit it, where you expect the deer to come from and what wind you need to sit it. Right. And then make that note, drop a camera, move on and just keep going through. Is that, I mean, that would, is that pretty much what you're advocating for? Yeah. I mean, that's definitely one like scouting tactics that I employ. Um, like I said, I, I do a, basically everything you can think of. I mean, between doing that, like that's kind of your classic in season boots on ground scouting. And I do a lot of that. Um, I still do a lot of glassing. I, I run cameras all year. Um, you know, and then it's like, sometimes you hit a brick wall where you're just like, you know, I just can't, just can't find anything and you know and that happens to me usually once every year and i'll just i'll just go out and start knocking on doors um like never stop you know what i mean like never stop scouting like to me knocking on doors is scouting you know like maybe i know that this general area usually has good deer like i see other people killing good deer in this area so i might like look on a map and be like well that that might be a good food source you know it's like you're kind of throwing darts at a map then but at least you're not sitting home you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. you're still putting in work and and a lot of times that kind of happens to me in october every year because i usually always have really really solid plans in september and then like you know i am not a believer in so-called october lull because i've had you know some really really good hunts in mid-october but I will say that for me, in my experience, they're a lot more rare than September and November. So typically October, you know, I'm not hunting unless I have a good plan. So it's like, there's a lot of years I don't have a good plan. So come October, I'll be out there hitting up landowners and I'll usually pick up a, a piece or two or three every season. And um, sometimes it's like, oh, there's a good deer there right now. Sometimes it's like, okay, I put a camera or two on it, let it soak all year. And then I look back on it and it's like, you know what, this little property, the second week of November was on fire, but had nothing else on it all year. So sometimes it's even like proactive uh, scouting for the future. You know, like this year, I picked up a property last year in October. 
exactly what I just said. I kind of hit a wall last year. I had I had a lot of good deer. I just didn't have any plan, good plans to hunt them in October. I was like, okay, I'm pretty sure I can get on these deer in November, and I ended up shooting two really good deer in November last year. But before that, kind of hit that wall. So I'm scouting in October and uh, picking up properties, and I picked up a property. I never hunted it one time last year. Ran some cameras on it. Really, really small piece. Uh, there was one buck on there that I'm like, man, if he makes it, he could be pretty nice next year. And uh, sure enough, this year he survived, and it's a special deer to the area that he's in. That's all I'm going to say. So, um, <laughs> that's cool. So, you know, like, you might not. So now, here, I'm sitting here. I got permission on a new piece. I've got a whole season of trail cam data on this buck from last year. Now he's turned into something that I'm like chomping at the bit to hunt. And I got all that, all this information, all that intel from going out and knocking on doors last October instead of just throwing random hunts at really low percentage hunts. So it's like sometimes right. you got to look into the future, not just right now. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't know. You're, sure. I'm kind of getting all over the place there, but um, yeah, like I'm. Yeah, I think always, it gives. I think it gives people ahead. something to think about. I mean, if if you're like if you're coming into your season and your season starts either September 17th, like Wisconsin and Minnesota, or your season starts October 1st and you got nothing, you know, maybe, maybe the opportunity is, is not, it's not hunting because yeah, I mean, it gives you opportunity to kill, but really low percentage opportunities are, are just that. Whereas, you know, scouting, knocking on doors, getting after it outside, like looking for next year, like in October, it, maybe you have the spots for late October and early November, you know, the rut that you want that you like to hunt. So, I mean, doing, doing that scouting and giving some people something to think about another op option to prepare you better for next year is, is great as well. Right. 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 And there can, people can make the argument. Like I could even make the argument. It's like, well, if you're going to pick up properties, do that like in spring or in the summer. And that's true too. Like you, you know, I do that also, but I guess the thing about doing it in October is I really only get into doing that. And like I said, it, it seems like every year I kind of hit a wall in October with the bucks that I know and properties I'm on. That's like, I usually hit a wall. Cause like last year in October, I think, you know, there's 31 days in October. I forget what I had it like totaled up. I think there was four days in October that I wasn't in the woods. So like I scouted or hunted, you know, whatever that is, 27 out of 31 days in October yeah. last year. And some of the, some of those days are out knocking on uh, doors because when I'm out doing that, I'm also like running around doing that. I'm going to stay out until dark. I'm going to go glass stuff, you know what I mean? Or I'm going to yeah. go run. I check trail cameras at after dark all the freaking time in season, like non-cell cams. You know, I'll run in, especially like if there's a thunderstorm rolling in, I'll ro I'll go out at midnight, you know, in the rain to pull a camera. It's just like when I'm in season, I'm like, like a robot. Like I just, <laughs> I'm just always, always, always plugging away. And, uh, you know, I think just think that's important to do. Like just always be doing something. You know what I mean? Like when you're sitting at home, you know, don't get me wrong. Like relaxation is nice. And, and obviously like family and stuff comes first, but. Um, you know, if you're not doing any of that, it's like, if you're literally just sitting there watching TV, it's like you could be doing something, you know what I mean? Right. Um, 
So even if that's instead of looking, instead of watching TV, looking at your phone, looking at maps, thinking, huh, I could go ask that person or, you know, oh, maybe that buck's betting there, you know, like there's always something to be doing. So yeah, I'm always kind of proactive. Um, and then there have been some instances where I've picked up properties in, in season October or November and I've went in and I've had, I've never killed a buck right away like that, but I've came close. So like, that's the hey, other thing. Ethan, you, Ethan, give me one second. Yeah. I, all right. I'm back. My bad, dude. <laughs> I drank two bottles no, of water good. earlier. <laughs> I'm mean, try, trying to uh, hydrate for this wedding I'm headed to. So I just don't get super drunk right away. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Cause especially like summer weddings. Cause you, you know, you all, you it seems like you always sweat your ass off. Oh yeah, for sure. No, I get it <laughs> for for Just, sure. And I know this I is going to be one of those weddings where it will it will not be uncommon for people to be like needing to go home by like nine thirty or ten p.m. <laughs> yeah. So so what you're saying is it's going to be a good wedding. <laughs> it is. Yep. Yep. It will be a good wedding. Gotcha. For sure. I got one. I got one of those coming up basically right when I come back from this trip. So, <laughs> yeah, man, you're gonna be skin and bones. You're gonna be dehydrated as shit. And you're gonna come back and just yeah. slam four beers and be like, "All right, I'm done, guys. <laughs> I'm out." Right. Yeah, I'm going home. <laughs> like, right. You know? Yeah. No, I'm sorry. So you're you were saying um, it's one of those things where in October, um, if you're you know if you're if you're slowing down, you're always scouting. Instead of sitting there watching TV, you're looking at your maps, you're picking out pins, you're looking at new pieces of property that you might be able to pick up, things like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, I mean, like last year, you know, I had four days in October that I wasn't doing something, you know, I had other stuff. But, you know, it's just like every single day I'm doing something. And a lot of those days I, w- I was actively like there was a buck last year that I actively pursued through October. And um, that's kind of the rarity, actually. Like I kept getting on him through October and I just played cat and mouse with that deer basically the entire month. And I had... Uh, I had three really, really close encounters with him and I ended up never sealing the deal on him. Um, but like, you know, on the flip side, sometimes you do have deer that you can keep making plays on. You can keep going. You can actually be hunting, going after a deer. Um, but then again, other times it's like I had plays on that deer. That's why I was out there. And I, you know, I had really close encounters. So that's, one side of the equation and then the other side is for me when i don't have a good play i'm just scouting i'm trying to make right. come up with a good play like i i just the more and more i kind of hunt this way by far the more success i'm seeing like you know my efficiency has went compared to what it used to be has went through the roof um like the amount of sits versus bucks on the ground is or, or at least close encounters is right. through the roof compared to what it was when I, you know, years ago. Um, and I think that's just, that just comes from more and more scouting and less and less hunting, you know, like uh-huh. you hear a lot of people say that, but like it, it really, really rings true. Um, it's, it's by far the most effective tool in my toolbox is, mm-hmm. is scouting. And like I said, 
in most of the areas I don't hunt, they don't have a lot of big deer running around. So I'm usually trying to, I'm trying to shoot like the top five, you know, 3% of deer in the entire area. So I got to be, I have to put in that much time just to find a deer that I want to go after. And then, you know, you might find a handful on a good year. You might find a handful of deer that you want to go after. And then you got to pick the ones out of there that you actually have a good chance of killing. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of, that's kind of my whole MO every whitetail season, you know, wherever I'm hunting, whatever state, whatever area, it's like, got to put in a lot of time just to find targets. You got to put in a lot of time to figure out which target can you actually hit? You know what I mean? Like the buck that I shot, you know, the buck I shot this year already, that's the thing is like i i had other good deer i had bigger deer um but it was like i've got no like i have a five percent chance of killing this deer that's bigger or i have you know if you asked me the night before season open i'd be like i think there's a 95 percent chance i'm gonna kill this buck and then i ended up killing him and that's that's no coincidence um in my opinion you know that that was me tailoring my hunt to the buck that i thought i had the best chance of killing and and, and it went down so that's that's what i do every year um just find your target and then and then just refine it into which one which one gives you the best chance of killing him yeah no that makes sense and that is a great note to wrap up on man that's a solid piece of advice so with that um i would say thank you thank you ethan for taking the time man i know you got 18 more hours 19 more hours of, uh, yeah. of driving out of you. But yeah, thanks for taking the time to hop on. I, I wish I would have more. I got to get ready for this wedding that I'm headed to. My wife's already given me the evil eye once. So, um, so yeah, wrap this up. But where can, if people want to find you, I know I mentioned it earlier, but um, where where can people find you if they want to look you up? Yeah, I don't, I don't really do too much. Um, not too much on social media in general. I mean, my Instagram would be the best place. And like you said earlier, it's just my name, Ethan underscore S-Q-E-S-C-U-E. Um, that's about it. You know, I basically put a lot of, a lot of stuff on there having to do with hunting and document most of my trips and stuff that I go on on there. Just kind of rough cut, you know, pictures and stories and stuff while I'm out there hunting. But, uh, that's about it. You know, I don't really film too much and uh, try to try to stay in the woods more <laughs> more than on my phone. So, yeah, that'd be the best place to look me up. And uh, yeah, that's about it. Okay. Good deal. All right. Well, yeah, I'll put it I'll put it uh, again. I'll put it in the show notes for everybody uh, listening and for everybody listening as well. Uh, if you enjoyed the podcast, you enjoy the Dear Vane White Till series. First thing I'd ask is just recommend it to friends. Um, and then also, if you would like, subscribe, leave a review. That really helps in terms of uh, rankings and having other people find the the Deer Vane podcast. And and again, thank you, Ethan, for for taking the time. And best of luck on your pronghorn hunt, man. Go get them. Thanks, man. I'm probably going to need it sneaking in on <laughs> these guys. <laughs> All right. Well, I appreciate you having me on. I had a lot of fun. And uh, thanks. Yeah. Yeah, you bet. All right. Catch you later, man. All right. See you, buddy.